Hello, you're listening to Arts Been Nation with myself, Christian, today. And I'm very happy to be joined here in the studio by Tom Middleditch, the writer and co-producer of Alexa Thymia? Thymia. Thymia, sorry. in the thigh. Right. No, it's all good. <laughs> I, I tend to name shows after things that uh, people need to ask how to say, just because then they'll remember the show name more effectively. It's all marketing. It's all all targeted strategy to get into people's minds. Right. A bit a bit like um so this is co production between Citizen Theatre and Atistic. Yes, yes. But spelled A underscore Tistic. Yes. I have I have a thing with naming things <laughs> that way. <laughs> naming things with um well yeah, true, yeah. that's very true of well anyway, t- t- tell us about Alexithymia. Well sure. Um, um the, the the show or what Alexithymia is I think both. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, let's start with what alexithymia is. Hmm. Um, so, in the context of autism, alexithymia is the inability to put words to felt emotions. So, a way you can think about it is there's you, and your feelings are a band on the other side of the room. And generally, most people can tell the melody that's being played, but for the alexithymic folk, there's a wall in the way, and you get a general hum and maybe a vague bit of melody, and you know that you might know that song, or it might just be noise to you, but there is more effort required to be able to infer emotion from the sensations in your body. And the more you think about how that could affect an individual, especially in the context of autism and Asperger's, the more a lot of social difficulty makes sense, and the more a lot of interests that Aspie people have and autistic people have gain a new dimension within the context of this thing. As for the show itself, um, it is a three-part speculative fiction, feminist-inspired and female-led, so all the cast are female and a large contingent of them are neurodiverse. And there are three parts to it. first part is called Social Function, which is about a woman on the spectrum, who invents an AI that scans everyone's social media and tells her the perfect thing to say in order to pass in a job interview. Second one is called The Curious Case of You, which is an emotional intelligence game show. How does that work? You have to come along and find out. Part three is called Nirvana Syndrome, which is about a woman who wakes up after an anesthetic trial and has lost all desire for anything. And that part explores what it means for someone who no longer presents themselves in the traditionally neurotypical way within the context of something that is very keenly understood, that being desire and feeling. Hmm. So that's just sort of a, a general spiel of what any attendance can expect for our three-part meal. That is, that is the show. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. I made it sound like that was the end of the interview. It's not. <laughs> no, there's more. I, yes. I'll let you talk at some point. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was I was actually going to throw the the big one at you. Well, while we're while we're on the subject of um, what things are and defining things, yeah, autism and Asperger's. Mm. Ah, do we have to unpack that one? <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Um, well, you, I mean, we, we've talked in the past in previous uh, interviews about this before. Um, and over the years, my attitudes towards autism and Asperger's have changed. Um, medically, autism is thought of as a developmental delay. So you can think of it as the rock at the top of the mountain that changes the direction of the river flowing down rather than the river being wrong. 
In the social model, it is a different neurotype. It's just a different way of thinking and perceiving the world. For me, I think of it now as the crust of the earth, as the thick part around the experience and space, which is the external world burrowing down, that forms patterns of land and sea that can still move but take a very long time to be able to change. And the autism itself is not the experience, but they're merely the result of the interaction of how someone interacts with the world and how the world interacts with them. That's why I think a lot of people relate to the expression, everyone's a little bit autistic, even though I find that to be problematic in a way, because everyone can develop behavior that is autistic in that it can be understood in the context of autistic behavior. Hmm. Yeah, I guess, <laughs> well problematic yeah player. i mean the, the big problematic thing about it is that um obviously people use it as a, a silencing tool of everyone has to deal with this stuff shut up you're not special and that's not a healthy thing it's mm. absolutely not a healthy thing within the community to have that attitude be spread around but also i think well if you think we all relate listen to us listen to the people who live an extreme version of what you think is your experience Learn how we live with it. Learn how we get through. Maybe improve your own life. Maybe learn how to be able to live your own life more smoothly. Learn from the people who know, right? Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Just, oh, well, just on the everyone is a little autistic being problematic mm. thing. What I was actually thinking of is depending on which areas, I guess you could say, of the spectrum you're on, rather like how your autism presents. Yeah, um, what your sensory issues mm. demand of you to in order to present in the world and what you mm. need to do to get by day to day, yeah. Yeah, more like having that diagnosis taken seriously because I was um, mm. talking to someone just today, actually, um, a woman on the spectrum, mm. much like... The yes, actors this. in the play will be portraying, yes. Mm. And the... True, yes. Um, mm-hmm. And some of the actors themselves. Yes. Um, she was, I forget what the situation was exactly, but she just kind of made like a, uh, a pretty sort of joking, you know, rather lighthearted reference to her, her autism. Okay. Um, and somebody said, oh, that, don't say that, that's offensive. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, have they met know, me? <laughs> <laughs> thinking, oh, that's just my autism. So I suppose yeah. in the in the mind of the person who was offended, what they mm. were hearing was somebody who was joking about having autism because she, yeah. I don't know, likes to line things up neatly and one of the things got knocked uh, over. One of those yeah, sort of... That sort of teenage yeah. attitude of picking the top shelf medical terms to describe really benign behaviour. Mm. Yeah, I'd like to think that people grow out of that by the time they hit their 20s and only really start using that if they actually have those things because mm. that actually means something. Oh, yes, which which she absolutely was. Yeah. Um, I mean, I joke about that occasionally. Like, mm. I'll, I'll, make, I'll make some comment of... Actually, um, for the launch of the Poppy Seed Festival, which Alexithymia is uh, premiering in, and the Poppy Seed Festival is the one that is providing us some funding, which is marvellous at this point in our career. At the launch evening, we had time given to us to be able to do a little art installation, a little performance to present our show. And the director, Jade Kishert, who runs Citizen Theatre, made the comment of, well, we should just get everyone to be wearing one colour. Like, someone wears red, someone wears blue, someone wears yellow. And, like, that's their colour and they turn up in that because that matches how we're doing the stage and the patterns we're working with. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, that's really on the nose. Like, that's so typical. And I looked down 
and I'm wearing all red. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, fair cop. We can't. <laughs> <laughs> and you've, you've, you've caught on. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing with stereotypes, I guess. It's like, yeah, yeah. If, if you sort of spin around for long enough, you might eventually stop <laughs> pointing at someone. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. you, if mm. I, I tend to try and find archetype within stereotype. Like, stereotype mm. is the lazy archetype. It's mm. that thing of you haven't quite pushed far enough to find out why this thing matters to us. Mm. That's true. Yeah, because I guess there are... Like, if you dig underneath, just trying to think of the others now, but yeah. you know, things like trains, computers... Mm. Um, Okay, well, Lego, Astronomy, that's kind of... That's yeah. Of, yeah, all like the traditionally hmm. stereotypically associated trends um, with like autistic culture and the things that, you know, if you go online, you can't go 10 minutes without someone quoting I like trains at you if hmm. you present yourself in that way. Amusingly, though, I for a long time really hated the, the trains one. Like I just, hmm. I, I found that one frustrating just because I, I wasn't that interested in trains. <laughs> Hmm. And then, um, I don't know how, but on Netflix, they loaded up a video of this European train trip from, I can't remember, I think it was Oslo to Bergen. So, like, a seven-hour train trip across Europe. And I thought, okay, I need to find out what this is about. And I watched it, and <laughs> I watched all seven hours of it. Because <gasps> it was just this really, like, it, it was like a background thing. It was like a hmm. camera on the front of a train. And you just went, and you had a look at all this lovely scenery. And it went up into the mountains, and it was snowing, and there were animals and towns. And it was really nice. And now I like trains. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm not ashamed of it. <laughs> Well, to be specific, I like the aesthetic journey of a train through the countryside of modern Europe. So, right. know, e e even in liking trains, I have to find some arty way to do it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just um, so getting back to alexithymia. Yes. Um, the, okay, so the condition, mm. but I guess obviously a bit of the work as yeah. well is always involved here. It's about 85%, isn't it, of people on the spectrum who yeah. also have alexithymia? Well, from the studies we've seen so far, the 85% one was mostly within children and teenagers. When oh. people got to adulthood, that number decreased. I personally, and for the play itself, I don't think it's because they were cured or healed of any inability. I think it was just... They've learnt how to be able to intellectually engage with understanding their emotions. Hmm. Like, I know for me, I don't know if I'm hungry until I think, am I hungry? Okay, I haven't eaten in a while. Uh, I'm going to go with yes for that one. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, there are some emotions for me that come really easily. Like, I can know intuitively some of the more base ones. Hmm. Um, but there is a lot of time that I don't know if an emotion is impacting on how I'm engaging with hmm. someone or whether or not a vague complex emotion is forming. So that's hmm. something that makes one-on-one uh, -on -one communication and, like, group communication a bit tricky because it's something I didn't realize other people, like, could just... They didn't have to think about what they were feeling. They just played with it. Like, they could just talk in a way and know exactly what their emotions were asking them to put into the world whereas i had to sort of like you know take that moment to step back and think it through and even when i'm like gotten really good at it just because i've had to bootstrap my way through emotional intelligence there's mm. still that element of not quite envy but just like oh god how that would be fun to like just be riffing like that 
Mm. And there are moments where I can do it. There are moments that I love being able to do it. But I think it's important that I have both of those signs, both of those experiences of being able to and not being able to, because I think that gives me a greater empathy for the people who always have to be thinking through it or might not even realize that they have to think in order to engage with that aspect of themselves. Mm. Empathy. I always love to... uh, Yeah. I I like it when that word comes up in ways you wouldn't you wouldn't expect when you're mm. talking about autism um, because obviously it comes up in terrible ways. Yeah, but God. yeah, but when people talk about empathy and autism in more... Deficit. Yeah. yeah. I think what's fascinating in the context of alexithymia mm. is um, if you can't tell what your feelings are, mm. you can't tell what feelings are other people's feelings that you're empathetically picking up on. Yeah. And the- that that's a head that's that's mm. a, that that's one to get your mind around there of mm. having to feel for yourself and for another person and be able to track where that's coming from. Mm. It I think for me it is a good way to think about why some autistic people can get very emotionally stressed around people who are stressed and not realize that that's what they're doing. They're just sort of naturally they're mm. natural empaths but mm. they don't know it, yeah. <laughs> or at least they don't realise it because they can't intellectually engage in the same way. When I say intellectually engage, I don't want that to be like confused with like intellectual deficit or intellectual delay. It is literally a thing of like knowing a language. Mm. Like if I don't know the words of German to some of the meanings that I want to have in German, then I could just say any sounds and there might be German in there, but it's the practice and the recognition of pattern from memory and experience that gives that intellectual rigor its power and its meaning. And the same thing comes from emotional intelligence. Mm. Yes. I'm glad you mentioned language, actually. Not just because I'm a linguistic student and I love love language, (laughs) Um, but also because, you know, I think this is very, like, that's a large part of what uh, etymologically means no no words or something like that, I think I looked at Yeah, no, yeah, no word for feelings. Alexithymia. Right. As all good words tend to come from the Greek Mm. or Latin or actually most other languages. We we steal a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But the, the thing is, I mean, I wonder where that might actually be the fault of, you mentioned German, mm. um, the language that you, the languages that you know, the language that mm. you're speaking in. Um, because some, you know, some languages have certain words for emotions that are not shared by other languages. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. Like, um, yeah. I mean, the, the classic one is Schadenfreude. Yeah. And um, that is German. That is yes. the, that's the German <laughs> there. That's the enjoyment of someone else's misery, um, mm. which there's like, we've just stolen that word for English now. And I think mm. what's interesting for me in the context of that mm. is I tend to think of emotional intelligence because it's a skill, mm. uh, in the same way that I think some people think of maths, mm. you know, and I don't mean that in the Aspie way of like, oh, we're good at maths. Um, that's a whole other conversation there. But the yeah. idea of you're in high school and you get to a certain point with how well you can just intuitively do maths, and then you get to a thing where you can't, you just don't intuitively know, and so you have to study, you have to go home and just practice and practice, and... For people who hit that barrier earlier, but have the work ethic to be able to push through it, they give themselves the skills to be able to pick up and study further down the line. Whereas people who don't hit that barrier until very far in don't have the same study skills 
they just sort of have taken it for granted. And mm. I think of emotion in the same way. Whereas if you've just naturally been able to riff and jive with how you emotionally can reciprocate with people, when you get to a point with empathizing, like say with uh, migrants or people with different needs or neurodiverse folk or women or men mm. or gender diverse people, an experience that you yourself have not had in the earlier parts of your life, you don't have the inbuilt study skills to grow your empathy naturally to understand it. For people who recognize that, perhaps there's a chance to be able to work through it. But for people who don't recognize that, who assume that not knowing is the same as not being able to know or thinking of it as foreign, it goes away to be able to explain why some people and this is all obviously my opinion i'm a psychologist but art speculation i think is necessary to grow a field and definitely just for good conversation anyway hmm. but to take us back i think it explains why people have difficulty empathizing and pass that off as hatred because hmm. if you don't understand and you have no way to understand that can only lead to frustration hmm. yeah i'm just thinking that that does also that occurs like both outside the autistic community and within mm. so yeah oh there's definitely it's, it's, yeah. it's rife in all communities mm. but i think with the autism community we have a, a different appreciation to empathy than the the holistic or just the, the rest of the neurodiverse community oh yeah well i, I, I guess i just more sort of thought <laughs> I, I suppose if if we can use language as an analogy yeah. um when talking about you know people of all ages really but i guess it, it um surfaces in particular ways and high schools say mm. um in social situations uh so you know if you have to if you're at a school where they're teaching this particular language and it just doesn't you, it doesn't come naturally to you so um you know you might get to a point where you just start calling the language stupid and yeah. think of it as a language fault you start um, passing off your yeah yeah exactly yeah completely on point it might be the same with you know relating to your your peer group at high school and you know peer groups at high school are like that's a very specific yeah. set of well, I reckon say it, 60 or so people i reckon yeah. it extends into the work environment in yeah. fact by the time you get into the work environment um within high school a lot of mm. people are still learning the social ropes and seeing what things can be done but by the time works there there's this unspoken assumed base of social and emotional competency that most people without even realizing it assume and it becomes embarrassing to be able to explain it because there is that unwritten rule of people just know this stuff. Mm. And it's fascinating how confronting it is when you say, hey, emotions and sensations are distinct things. Like, they're different. Like, emotions are the names of the passions. And sensations are the body doing stuff. And there's really... The only thing that connects the two is experience, or in our case, intellectual programming. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Oh, just think of it in the workforce as well, because I so okay. So, so when it comes to people who are in like sort of leadership, uh, management roles, and some people call it like emotional regulation or mm. whatever, or you know, how how keeping emotions in check. Yeah. So anger. And uh, people in leadership and management roles, yeah, there seem to be, like, if there are some hard and fast rules with that, they they seem to be fairly, it, it, it's at least a fairly, like, complex one. Yeah. Um, well, that's why people generally have a dedicated HR person, because mm. their their job is literally to be the best at feelings. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I like to use the word vibing as well sometimes, <laughs> just because I think that's... That does make it seem like less work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or just because I, 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 I think that kind of shows like how... It's an attitude yeah. to how you recognize mm. your own mm. emotional experience. Yeah, definitely. But um, oh, maybe this is an interesting point to finish on. But yeah. like, just because we are running out of time. Um, I'd but, like to, if, yeah. if possible, oh, I'd like yes. to be able to finish on the fact of um, mm. what I think is really important about Alexithymia, yeah. the work. Yeah. Um, and that is that it is all female. Hmm. And most of the characters that they play, so it's three actors playing about nine to 15 characters hmm. throughout the entire piece. And I don't know of any other piece of media that has this many autistic female characters. Hmm. And especially I can't think of any other theater piece that does something like this. So technically what we're doing is kind of a world first. Hmm. And think we were talking a little bit before we started on this conversation about how there's a lot of autism content out there at the moment of the good doctor and atypical which attempt to engage with more complex portrayals of autistic characters but kind of fall flat because they're not listening to us they're not listening to or they're not letting us write our own stories and i think it's really exciting that the poppy seed festival has said we want to be able to support this kind of work and put neurodiversity up front in our programming mm. and specifically female and feminist empowerment absolutely work yeah yeah and i mean again maybe this is another thing to finish on there's lots of, things <laughs> could, lots of ways we could finish lots this to edit lots Gosh. of good stuff there <laughs> um but again we'll kind of touched on this before we recorded the interview mm. if this is a world first it, it seems like in to, this is meant to sound mean at all <laughs> it seems like it doesn't if it is a world first it, it's not a world first that's taken much work to get to it's i can such, see yeah. i can see why it might be seen like that yeah um or rather you know it hasn't taken like artistically speaking hasn't taken much it's it's perhaps. it's in its simplicity I just, think that's the strength. At least on paper. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the strength of the time we're living in. Hmm. With the huge boom of, like, Aspie diagnoses in the 90s and noughties, people hmm. like you and I got into that particular identity field. And then when they changed the diagnostic criteria in 2013, a whole lot of 20-somethings were like, oh, cool. So now we've got no diagnostic label, but we still have this identity. So hmm. we are at a time in history where we have enough conceptual understanding of how people work for this show to emerge. So hmm. I don't want to undercut anyone's work. The work that people have been doing on this show has been phenomenal. And hmm. the amount of learning and the amount of creativity has been, this has felt like one of the most rewarding artistic periods of my life. But if it is seeming effortless, it's because this is a story whose time has come. Hmm. And speaking of it coming, well, you can <laughs> check it out. Yeah, I'll do this for you. Um, so it's at the Meat Market Stables. Uh, so opening night is Thursday, the 9th of November. Yes. Yes. Runs until the 19th mm. at Poppy Seed Festival. Yes. As you said. If you want to be able to help us out at the moment, we mm -hmm. currently have a cultural fund running, mm. which I believe we'll be able to attach details of mm -hmm. afterwards. Um, there's also a wine drive going and lots of fun little things. I've written a couple of blog entries. Uh, within a few weeks, there may or may not be a podcast going up. We'll keep you, keep you on edge for that one. But there's lots of content out there on how this show is being made and lots of ways that you're able to help support feminism and neurodiversity and women in the arts. Hmm. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Tom. 
Thank you for having me.